You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Welcome to the Rob Fay Nation podcast. An extension of Rob Fay Nation Radio. A new way of enjoying sports. Each week, Vancouver-based sports brought to you from a different location. Please be warned. This podcast will be monitored by those looking to tear down. We will rise above with fresh content and a new perspective. Rock Fay Nation. 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 It is episode eight of the Rob Fay Nation podcast. I'm Rob Fay. Glad to have you along for the ride this week. And boy, it is one of those podcasts that, in my estimation, kind of writes itself when you think of everything that's been going on around the world, everything that's been going on in the world of sport. And we're going to try to tackle all of it as quickly and as concisely as we can. We're going to talk about the Vancouver Canucks. We're going to talk about the Toronto Blue Jays. We're going to talk about wrestling. We're going to get into all of it over the next half hour. Again, before we get into this, please like, please subscribe, please review to make sure that we can get this bumped up and get things really moving in the podcast world that is changing every single day. All right, well, last night the Vancouver Canucks won Game 5 of their series against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to get into the particulars. I'm not going to sit here and tell you about the Fenwick, the Corsi, all the stats, the analytic. I'd much rather just say what this means to a young, aspiring organization like the Vancouver Canucks that a year ago, we were still debating whether or not they were coming out of their rebuild just yet. And I hate to say it because there's nothing good that you want to shine on the world of COVID, but I think the three-month layoff for the Vancouver Canucks in particular, and then all of a sudden thrusting them into the postseason, was almost a blessing in disguise for Vancouver. If you remember just before COVID hit, Vancouver really spinning their tires in the mud, the naysayers were coming out of the woodwork, and it just looked like it was going to be another season where you came to realize that the Canucks were a couple of pieces away, and they were still being anchored down by several bad contracts. But it's amazing how they've been able to with very limited opportunity to kind of get things up to speed, all of a sudden been able to rattle off series victories over the St. Louis Blues, the defending Stanley Cup champions, and of course even just to get into the postseason, the playoffs, the play-in against Minnesota. Now all of a sudden they're taking on a team that looks like they could be considered by some to be the favorites to win the 2020 Stanley Cup, that of course being the Vegas Golden Knights, but down three games to one, It was one of those days where you were wondering, well, what do we got to do to beat this Vegas Golden Knights team? Enter Thatcher Demko, who had not played more than a few minutes in the postseason. All of a sudden, Jacob Markstrom, is he injured? Is he tired? Is it a combination of both? Well, Thatcher Demko ends up stopping 43 of 44 shots to pace the Vancouver Canucks to a very razor-thin 2-1 victory over Vegas. What does it mean? It means that coming up Thursday, as we do this every Wednesday, it means that the Vancouver hockey team has an opportunity to stretch this one out and, dare we say, get it to seven games. But whether they win Game 6 or they lose Game 6, it's mission accomplished. This is the proverbial, to use a Vegasism, playing with house money. And the thing that I like about it is the experience that some of the younger guys are getting. For example, Thatcher Demko, an opportunity for Elias Pettersson to let his legend grow. You're seeing things from Quinn Hughes, Brock Besser snuffing out the naysayers, Bo Horvat almost had his 10th goal of the season in yesterday's game. And you just sit there and you say, you know what, even if they don't make it to the Western Conference Final or the Stanley Cup or win the whole thing, 
everything that they have learned about themselves over the last couple of weeks, especially being in the bubble, is going to serve this team well. And this is the other thing that I want to bring up really quickly before we start to talk about some of the other things going on in the world. The fact that this team has been together. It's one of the things that you hear in today's day of sport, where now it's no longer the guys that go out and eat together, the guys that go out and drink together, the guys that'll really come together as a team. Everybody says that in this day and age, you got little pockets of players that go to the left, some go to the right, the older guys spend time with the family, the younger guys, the journeymen, everybody goes their separate way. But the bubble has made this team learn about each other, not just on the ice, but away from the ice. And I've got to think to those teams that have been able to spend a significant period of time within the bubble, be it Toronto or Edmonton. And to those who don't know what I'm talking about, basically the NHL had two hub cities where they were going to put all these teams from the Eastern Conference in one city, and they weren't going to let these teams go anywhere within the city outside of the bubble. They had to stay within the hotel and the facility that they had kind of corned off. Same thing in Edmonton with the Western Conference teams and four tests through over the span of, what is it, six, seven weeks now, not one, knock on wood, not one positive COVID case. So NHL knocks this one out of the park. But let's get back to it. So the players have really been able to benefit by spending time together, especially these teams that have been able to go two rounds and three rounds. And the younger players, I think this is a great opportunity to learn from some of the vets, but it's also an opportunity for the vets to see what they can do to help these younger players. I'm telling you, beyond the wins and losses, the X factor is the fact that these guys have all had to be together and truly bond as a team. Well, one of the other things that the NHL had to deal with, of course, the players and teams within the bubbles this week is the social injustice that is going on. You know, you want to say just in the United States, but I do think that this is a global opportunity for players and staff on all sports in all leagues to come together and really identify the problem and bring it to the forefront. So, for example, the NHL this past week led by a couple of different players. In Edmonton, it was led by Ryan Reeves. Previously, it was Matt Dumba who raised his fist up when the Vancouver Canucks were taking on the Minnesota Wild. But this was Ryan Reeves on a day where the Players Association and all the teams got together and said, we need to make a stand, a visible stand, in front of the rest of the sporting world in North America. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole Black Lives Matter thing. I'm not going to get into the politics of this. But I also was on TSN 1040 a couple of days ago thinking and saying out loud that I thought the NHL was a little late to the party. I did. I thought it took them a little long to get their resolve. But if you see the NHL's trend here, there are certain leagues that are very quick to come to the forefront. They look for the camera. The way that the NHL handled the Black Lives Matter situation, where they actually just kind of sat back and gave it the extra day or two to make sure that the players had an opportunity to discuss this with each other, the Players Association could get involved, and everybody really advised each other of how they wanted to tackle this, kind of the same way that they handled picking the hub cities. If you remember, and I was involved in this, it was really, I don't know, about four or five weeks before they finally named everything where it started to leak that Las Vegas was going to be one of the hub cities. And then there was conversations that it might be Columbus or Chicago or Vancouver. And it ended up being Edmonton and Toronto. Now, I won't get into the logistics about how it ended up being Edmonton as opposed to Las Vegas. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. But the fact that the NHL did not rush that process, they took their time. 
They made sure that they made the right decision because you got to remember, and I'll stand to this right through the end of the story, Vegas was in. Vegas was very much in, and then all of a sudden, because of the spiking COVID numbers and they had an issue that had to do with the food and beverage industry, they decided to pull the chute and find their way back to Edmonton that had much fewer cases and a situation where they could actually go in and play in quick time. So that said, the NHL did not jump the gun. Now, I know a couple of people out there will say, well, it wasn't really the NHL's decision to make anyway. If the players wanted to strike, they were going to do it, and they ended up doing it taking two nights off. I would like to think the way that it was handled in its totality was very well done. To see the players of all the ethnicities coming together from all the different teams, all the teams that were still within the bubble, that resonated with a lot of fans. That resonated with me as well because you sit back and you say to yourself, okay, well, you understand with Black Lives Matter how it affects the NFL, it affects the National Basketball Association, and even Major League Baseball where there is a little more of a melting pot. Hockey has the stigma of being a quote-unquote, the air quotes here, predominantly white sport. And I don't know if that's the reason that they took an extra day to do it, or at least get in front of the cameras in that regard. But I do think for what they did, it was poignant, it was straightforward, it looked like it was the beginning of what's going to be a longer conversation, which I think is mission accomplished. And it also really finally showed that the NHL is willing to turn the page on it. I thought, I, I don't know if I would give the NHL an A for their effort, but it was definitely in the B category. And I think as we move into the offseason, we'll be able to see this diversity task force that they put together really step to the forefront and truly begin to make some pillars and the foundation and the changes that I think will help our children as they try to figure out if hockey is a sport that they want to take in. Beyond the NHL, we have talked about the Canucks. We have talked about the ability to find diversity in sport. Let's focus a little bit different. Let's shift to the Toronto Blue Jays as the Major League Baseball trade deadline has now come and gone and the Toronto Blue Jays got busy. They got busy in a very big way. And I think there's a lot of people out there right now that liked the way that the Toronto Blue Jays handled their business. Now, they actually jumped the gun, went out and did a deal with the Seattle Mariners going and getting Taiwan Walker. Walker is one of those guys, and he's already made a start for the Blue Jays, and boy, was it special. Six scoreless innings. But I also look at the secondary moves that they made. Why I think that Ross Atkins comes away with straight A's if we're still using the adage of, you know, going out and grading professional baseball players and organizations. They were able to go out in addition to getting Dan Vogelbach, who's already been DFA'd. They went out and they got Taiwan Walker, then they followed it up, getting Jonathan Villar, Ross Stripling from the Dodgers, and Robbie Ray, who was traded for Travis Bergen. Those aren't huge names, but what they are to an organization that is right now trying to fight for a playoff spot is a message from ownership, a message from the executive that we are going to do our damnedest to get you some pieces. Nothing's worse than fighting and doing everything that you can and seeing the odd injury take place and you look upstairs to the glass windows on the 200 level where they eat the fancy food and you don't see movement. So the fact that the Blue Jays didn't have to part with a bonafide star from their team, from their Major League roster, and were able to go out and get the names like Falar, Stripling, Taiwan Walker, and of course Robbie Ray. And, and again, all of them have issues. For example, Robbie Ray, control issues. If he's on, he's fantastic. If he's not, batting down the hatches. But movement for me is why I think the Toronto Blue Jays get straight A's. And, uh, and again, one of the reasons they were able to make these deals is because now 
the and we know this in Vancouver because we've watched out at Nat Bailey for the last couple of years. They have some stuff in the minor leagues that they can make these kind of moves. And by the way, if you're wondering, Toronto as it stands as I'm recording this is 18 and 16. That is two games back of the Yankees in the wild card race. That on its own is a big deal. Tampa Bay is going to run away with the American League East. They're looking really good. They're five and a half better than Toronto. Uh, they're three and a half better than the Yankees. But you got to remember, it's just a 60-game prorated season. So already 37 games in, this is two-thirds of the way. One of the other things that I wanted to bring up is that Toronto has adapted very well to Buffalo. Got to remember, this was a team that was considered by some around baseball circles, almost tongue-in-cheek, the homeless team, the team without a home. Buffalo stepped to the forefront, and the Toronto Blue Jays have been pretty good playing at St. Lean Field. They've gone 8-5 and five so far, and although that's not a groundbreaking number, the fact that they've had to make that adjustment, got to remember, their home is a synthetic field. And now all of a sudden they're playing on natural grass. The dimensions are different, the weather's different, the clubhouse is different, everything is different, and yet Toronto is three games above 500 playing in Buffalo. So to me, uh, that is the proverbial tip of the cap. So again, Blue Jays hanging around in the American League East, a division that a lot of people thought uh, would throw them back in the water. And right now it is Boston at 12 and 24 who is selling pieces. Baltimore's kind of hanging around, but uh, I really think at this point it's three-horse race. Tampa Bay, the Yankees, and Toronto. And for my money, just to see them with 18 wins at this point of the season, just one win less than the Houston Astros, that is in fact saying something. So we've been able to get most of the sports back onto the field this year. Major League Baseball, the NHL, I'm assuming the NFL in a couple of days is going to get started. The NBA is playing in their bubble down in Orlando. And so that has given us a lot of sport eye candy to at least keep ourselves occupied. What hurts is the teams that weren't able to get back onto the field. Vancouver Canadians didn't get a 2020 season in. That's an issue. But the Canadian Football League also did not get an opportunity to get onto the field at any point this year. They asked for some assistance from the federal government. It did not come their way. So everybody right now is scrambling to try and figure out what they're going to do. Now, with the cancellation of the CFL season, you're noticing that the CFL and the Canadian Football League Players Association agreed on a temporary window where players could opt out of their current CFL contracts and try to find their way onto an NFL roster. Now, there are a boatload of names that are trying their luck south of the border, and every day it seems like the list adds more names. For example, Calgary's Evan Worthington is going to try his luck south of the border. Matt Bozen of the BC Lions, he was a name that was on the list yesterday, a defensive end at a Texas Christian. You look down the list, and it is... Um, I don't want to say heartbreaking, but usually you don't see a list this long. But because right now there is no work in the CFL, you're seeing some pretty good names that are trying their luck south of the border. Now, make no mistake, every year there is always going to be a pocket of CFLers who are going to want to try to catch on with an NFL roster. But it is not like this one. And everybody down to Sergio Castillo, the kicker with the BC Lions, who on the 28th of August decided that he was going to try his luck south of the border. It's going to be really interesting to see how CFL rosters are rebuilt because some of these guys are going to be able to find their way onto NFL rosters, and that's going to leave some glaring holes 
part of the reason that I think that the CFL only wanted to have that seven-day window. Again, you're going to have your guys. They're going to try their luck south of the border. But it was an opportunity between the CFL and the Players Association to agree on a seven-day window where players could opt out of their current contracts and try to find their way onto NFL rosters. Usually, as I said, a couple of names. But right now, you're looking at 50, 60, and some of them are on multi-year contracts and uh, would have had their rights retained by the team if they were released. But that has now changed. So what does the CFL do? I was talking with one CFL executive yesterday, and he said that they were okay going into 2020. But now that the lay of the land has changed, everybody is considering the R word. And this is not a rebuild word. It is a reboot. They're going to have to think about how they do things on the field differently. They're going to have to think about how they do their payrolls differently. They're going to think about how they're going to have to have the fan experience different. And the reason I bring up BC Place when it comes to the fan experience is because I don't think, and I've worked at Napa Lee Stadium for 14 years, that it will ever be the same. I really believe that the way that you go and enjoy a football game, a baseball game, a hockey game, basketball, whatever, when you go and take this in-arena experience again, it's not going to be the same. For example, your food will probably be individually packed. I think the days of the buffets are long gone. I think that when you sit in the stadium for at least 2021, you're going to have a couple of empty seats beside you. You're going to be asked to sanitize a number of times. You're going to be asked for things that maybe feel a little uncomfortable, like standing four to six feet in between the person in front of you in a line. There are so many logistical things that are going to go into your fan experience in 2021 and beyond that it is going to take you a little while. So, for example, at BC Place, they're going to probably open up the gates a little bit earlier. I know what you're thinking. I want to come to a game two hours before kickoff and... By the time the game starts, I'm going to be half ready to go. But you got to remember, the lineups are going to be longer in distance. So there's going to be more roped off areas. There might be an opportunity for you. And this is really starting to think outside of the box. You might have times where your section can utilize the concourse. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? For example, if you're sitting on the right side of the field, you might be able in the first quarter and the third quarter to utilize the concourse. Second quarter and fourth quarter, maybe it's the left side of the stadium that gets to utilize because you can't have these breaks. Think of the NHL. Think of hockey, for example, where all of a sudden the intermission happens and you're shoulder to shoulder with so many guys and girls within the concourse. That, as it currently stands in 2020, would be an absolute non-starter. So you're really starting to see executives think outside of the box as to how they can facilitate and we're not even sure how many people are going to be in the stadiums, but let's say it was even at 50% capacity. Well, 50% of 25,000 is still 12,500 fans. They're going to want to go and get their food. They want to go get their beverages. They're going to want to go and use the washrooms or what have you. But you have to have this social distancing. So these are the challenges right now that teams like the Lions and the Vancouver Giants and the Vancouver Canadians and the Vancouver Canucks are trying to figure out so that by the time Dr. Bonnie Henry and the provincial government starts to loosen up some of these restrictions, they won't be fully back to normal, but they will definitely be something that we will want to keep our eye on. So uh, yeah, a reboot, a lot more than just what's going on on the field. And with all these players being able to opt out and try their luck in the NFL, it is a ton of stuff going on behind the scenes and uh, be very curious to know once those gates finally do swing open for a team like the BC Lions, what changes will have been made.
All right, very quickly before I wrap up, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Vancouver Canadians, and uh, this past week was actually my last physical day in the stadium, and I know a couple of podcasts ago I got into the softer side of it, but I just wanted to touch base with you and just let you know that I had a fantastic 14-year relationship with the Canadians. I fully anticipate talking about baseball much longer, um, even though I'm not doing the play-by-play for the organization or the communications. Uh, because I'm working at TSN 1040, I still have a platform and uh, was talking with the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame this week and letting them know that there is still a very strong voice on the West Coast that wants to give both amateur and professional baseball a home on the airwaves. Now, what I will say is that when you get the opportunity, go to CanadiansBaseball.com and look at what they're doing for their final field rental dates of the year. They might be sold out already. I know it has been a wildly successful program, but also their foundation is still in need. The Canadians help out the Boys and Girls Clubs of South Coast BC around the clock. So this year, they didn't have the opportunity to fundraise. They didn't have the opportunity to generate revenue that they can give back to the kids in this community. So if you get the chance, go to CanadiansBaseball.com, click on their foundation page, click on their donate page, and even if you don't donate, just learn about their foundation because I do believe um, that there is something very special that they do at a grassroots level to help children in our community of all ages, starting from as young as five right through till they get the Jeff Mooney and Suzanne uh, Bolton scholarship where they can continue their education at college or university. So again, I've tried to jam pack as much as I can into this show and every Wednesday, Rob Faination podcast will join me. I will be on the air later tonight. Myself, Samantha Chang, uh, Chantel Chand, we're going to have everybody coming through. I, I would imagine uh, Jay Swing's going to stop by, Juna Pondolin as well, as we bring you what could be the last Rob Fay Nation radio of the week. Got to remember, TSN 1040, and I'm in full agreement of it, trust me, bump me so that they can bring you the post-game show when the Canucks are playing. So, of course, I get bumped on Thursday because now there's a game six. I hope they bump me on Friday because that would mean there is a game seven. But if you ever just want some sports conversation, I love doing this. Every Wednesday, go right here to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get it, Podbean, wherever you get your podcast, and subscribe, like, and review Rob Fay Nation Podcast. Until next Wednesday, my thanks to you for checking in on me every week. I'll do this again a week from now. Have yourself a great day. Have yourself a great week. And more than anything, stay safe. <laughs>